Just one verse. You know this verse. You've probably quoted it dozens and dozens and maybe hundreds of times. But I want us to read it together. And I'm asking the Lord to give us fresh ears to hear his word today. So let's read it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I, I think it'd be all right if we just said it again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, Lord, open our hearts and our spiritual understanding that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up to you other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. And I lift up our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you and pray that you will draw them to a place of repentance, that not one of them will be lost. I pray these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The year we have just exited has definitely been one for the books. Can I get somebody to say amen to that? (laughs) It seems that everything that could be shaken has been shaken. If you asked me at the beginning of last year, I would have never dreamed we would have seen the kind of social unrest that gave way to the rioting and looting and vandalism we experienced across our country. I never imagined the kind of fear that has gripped not just our nation, but the world that resulted in business shutdown and people quarantining at home and international travel suspended. I wouldn't have thought it possible that major sports events would be canceled. And then when they were, the stadiums would only have a fraction of the seats filled. It seems like everything in our world has been changed. The way we work, the way we socialize, the way we travel, the way we enjoy recreation. All of us are changing. How we look changes. Anybody check the mirror out lately? I told my wife a few days ago, I said, Darling, we need to get somebody here to, to check out the mirrors in our house. There's a problem. She said, what, what's the matter? I said, every time I look in one of these mirrors, there's this old man's face that stares back at me. You know, that's right. We, we grow older. We grow taller. Or as we age, we get shorter. I'm told that all the cells in our body are replaced about every seven years. So for those of you who have been part of this church for the last 22 years that I've served as pastor, that means you've now had three pastors and you've begun working on your fourth. And for those of you that are unhappy with the pastor right now, if you just hang around another six years, you'll have a brand new one. In the midst of all this change, one of the great longings of the human condition is for stability something that can be trusted to remain constant. Back in the dark ages, I uh, took a class. I 
wanted to learn how to tune pianos. Um, I played it, so I wanted to learn something about how it operated and functioned, so I wanted to learn how to tune it. Well, as part of that, this was before, to tell you how long it's been, this was before all of the electronic stuff that we used to tune with now, and before they had apps on your phone that you could set up and tune with, you know. This was when we did everything by ear. And so one of the things that I got as part of that, as part of that class was a tuning fork. And so what we would do is you would tap this tuning fork and I don't know if you can hear that or not. It's a little. Somebody's humming it. Doesn't sound like that. It's not, that's not good. That is not a good sound. Anyway. That particular note that that sound or tone is an octave above middle C. And so what we would do with that is you would come into the piano, you would strike the tuning fork, listen, and you would play that note and see how close they match. And then you would turn the pins to get the string tightened or loosened so that it would match that tone. And that would be the, the beginning point. That would be the set point. And everything else would be tuned in relationship to that one tone that tone of an octave before C. All right, or a Are we, is this still cutting in and out? We were having a little trouble with this in the first service, so I'm gonna switch to this and see if that works better. Uh, I'm reminded, it, it, it reminded me of the story, that, that, that tuning fork, is a constant. It's the thing that I always, you know, all the pianos were tuned to that, that tone and everything worked. It reminded me of the story I read that was told by Pastor Max Licato in volume two of Grace for the Moment. He writes about an author named Lloyd C. Douglas. When Douglas was a student at what was then Wittenberg College in Springfield, Ohio, he lived in a boarding house. One of his downstairs neighbors was a retired music teacher. Douglas and this man, over time, developed a, a morning ritual. Before leaving the boarding house each morning, Douglas would stop by the man's room and ask him a simple question. Well, what is the good news? The old man would pick up his tuning fork, tap it on the side of his wheelchair, and say, that's middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It will be middle C tomorrow. It will be middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor upstairs sings flat. The piano across the hall is out of tune. But my friend, that is middle C. Now that old teacher wanted Lloyd C. Douglas to know that when life is chaotic, unsettling, and unnerving, there are some things that are always constant. For that teacher, one of those things was middle C. You can always count on middle C. It's always 261.625565 hertz. Now today, I want to tell you that it is possible that there may come a time when 261.625565 hertz is no longer middle C. But there is one thing in the midst of a changing world that is forever unchanging. Jesus Christ 
is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now think about what a powerful statement that is. First of all, the verse says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. See, strictly speaking, there is no past tense with the Lord Jesus. That's what it means in John 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's the meaning of John 8 and 58, when Jesus told the unbelieving Pharisees, before Abraham was born, I am. This is the eternal pre-existence of Jesus. Jesus of yesterday is the eternal Son from everlasting with the Father, sharing with Him in creation. Jesus of yesterday is the one who is before all things, the one in whom all things hold together, the one who has preeminence in all things. Jesus of yesterday is the Word made flesh, taking the form of a servant, made sin for the world. Jesus of yesterday is the risen and glorified Christ, living his life in millions of lives through 2,000 years. And then the verse says that Jesus Christ is the same today. That means everything that he was, he is. Everything he used to be, he still is. Everything that he has done, he is doing. Jesus is doing exactly what he puts to do in this age. His program is following the Father's schedule. Eyes blinded by the God of this world are still being opened by the light of the world. Those crippled by sin are walking in newness of life thanks to the great physician. Modern day Naamans dip in the fountain filled with blood and lose their spiritual leprosy. Ears are being opened to the music of heaven. Those dead in trespasses and sins are being quickened to eternal life. All over the world, the gospel is being preached to the poor. I want to tell you, the love of Jesus is the same today as it has always been. And I will tell you this, Jesus will never love you any more than he does right now. Before you were ever brought into this world, he loved you. When he knew the choices you would make, he loved you. When he knew how you would violate his plan for your life, he loved you. When he knew how you would cause him grief and disappointment, he loved you. When you ran from him, he loved you. When you wanted nothing to do with him, he loved you. That love he had for you before the foundation of the world has never changed. Right now, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, he loves you with an unconditional love. And when he looks into your future and sees what choices you are going to make, both good and bad, he loves you. There is nothing you can do, no place you can go, no decision you can make that will ever cause his love for you to diminish in the slightest measure. L listen, you can't undo your yesterday, so don't let your yesterday undo you. When yesterday tries to take you down, just look it in the eye and just start to sing the old Sunday school song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus is the same today as he ever was. Health may fail, but his strength is made perfect in your weakness. 
Adversity may crash upon you, but he draws you close and whispers, be of good courage. I have overcome the world. Friends may desert you so that you end up saying with Paul, no man stood with me. But you can also say with Paul in the next verse, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. And even when death draws near, he gives the assurance, I am the resurrection and the life tell you Jesus is the same yesterday, Jesus is the same today, and Jesus is the same forever. Now that word forever, that's the word where we get our English word aeon. If you go forward in time one million years, Jesus will be the same. Go ahead another 10 trillion years, he's just exactly the same. He never gets tired of keeping his word. He never grows weary of you. He never changes in mind, in purpose, or in nature. I'm telling you, you have something to look forward to. The best is yet to come. It is. The same Lord that raised Lazarus from the dead will quicken your mortal body with resurrection power. Mortal is going to put on immortality. Corruptible shall put on incorruption. Perishable shall put on imperishable. What was sown in weakness shall be raised in power. The same Lord that comforted Mary and Martha will wipe every tear from your eyes. The same Lord that healed diseased bodies by the sandy shores of the Galilee will vanquish all sickness. The same Lord that conquered death through the resurrection will once and for all destroy death and loved ones shall never again be separated by its cruel sting, but shall enjoy life with him throughout the endless ages. What I'm trying to tell you is this. We may live in a changing world, but you are held by a changeless Christ. Somebody ought to praise him if you believe that today. Praise God. Now, now over the last year, We've seen the way we do church go through many different changes. I mean, you only have to look around you in this sanctuary to realize that church has changed dramatically. You know, the way we enter, wearing masks. The way we sit, at least six feet apart. No handshaking, no hugging. Service times are shortened. More attention is paid to lighting and to sound so that it not only looks good and is a pleasant experience in the house, but so it looks and sounds good on camera as well. I want to tell you, in the midst of all this change, there are still some core values that never change. The method may change, but the message and the mission remains the same. Now, I've got a chip on my shoulder this morning. So I just as well to clue you into it. In the last few weeks, I've had some people tell me that they are no longer going to be attending church here and they're not going to be part of us. And the reason is because they're unhappy with me during the recent run-up to the election because I didn't spend enough time dealing with issues in our society, or at least they thought I didn't, and I wasn't supporting and endorsing a particular platform or calling out another platform, and I'm ticked about it. 
I'll just tell you that right now. And here's why. Because that's not the message and the mission of the church. So I just, I, I just want to put you on notice today that if you need that in the church, you need to go somewhere else. You do. And I'm okay with that. Because the, the message doesn't change regardless of who sits in the Oval Office. The message doesn't change regardless of which party controls the House or the Senate. And regardless of who sits on the bench of the Supreme Court, and regardless of what the opinion polls reveal, a few years from now, should the Lord tarry, it will be time for me to move out of the way so another can serve as lead pastor of this church. Don't get all excited. It's not going to happen this week. So, so, some of you, that's the closest to shouting I've seen in this church. Just pour a bucket of cold water over that right now. But there will come a time. And when that time comes, the style of how we do ministry will no doubt change. And the methods will change. And the programs will change. But the message will remain the same. No matter what winds may blow, the church must stay focused and not deviate from the message. The message and the mission of the church. The message and the mission of this church. You hear it every Sunday at the end of service. There is method in my madness. I have us repeat this over and over and over every week because I do not want it to miss from your, from your understanding. I want to drive it deep into your spirit so that you know the message and the mission of the church. It's contained in three great truths that are not going to change no matter what happens this year. First of all, it's the great commandment. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, that the great commandment is to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. No matter what changes in this world, this is a constant for the people of God. See, in the world, too often, what you find is that people view the church and God and faith as something like an option or, or, or it's an add-on. But in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, the Lord speaks to his people and says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. See, every other commandment hangs on this very first one. All the moral code, all the ethical code, it all starts right here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. See, you don't need a pantheon of gods. All you need is one God. 
You don't need a sun God and a moon God. You don't need a rain God and a wind God. You don't need a harvest God and a fertility God. You don't need a Monday God and a Thursday God and a Saturday God. All you need is one God, one almighty God, one all-encompassing God, one ruling and reigning God, one covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, one unchanging, faithful, constant, dependable, you can always count on him God. One Jehovah God. One I am that I am God. That's all you need. One God. Now listen, I'm about to get up in your business. The problem isn't so much that you don't love the Lord, but rather that your love isn't single. It isn't the with all your heart, mind, soul, and might kind of love. Too many are trying to be bigamists or polygamists when it comes to love for God. You love God and something or some things else. Your love is diluted. You've lost the passion. You've lost the fervency. You've lost the zeal. And when that happens, it begins to manifest itself in the way you treat the things of God. It manifests in the importance you place on being in the house of God. It manifests in the importance you place on being with the people of God. See, you can't love God with all your heart and not love his house. You can't love God with all your heart and not love his people. In in the determination to remove the legalism of requirements, too often you've slipped over into being careless and casual. You've lost the reverence. You've lost the conviction. You've lost the urgency. Don't tell me you love God and you love the people of God when you stay away from the house of God because it's more convenient and comfortable to watch online from the comfort of your easy chair. Now, I'm not, you know me better than this. I am not talking to those people who have health issues and challenges that, that require them to, to, to remain away. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm talking about those of you that are just too lazy to get up on Sunday morning and get to the house of God. You know, come to think of it, we may be getting a new pastor next week. I don't know. You can go out to eat. You can go to a friend's party. You can go shopping. You you can go to Walmart, for goodness sake. But you can't get to the house of God. You don't really love God. At least you don't love him first. Oh, see, you'll follow the procedures of your workplace You'll take the medication according to the instruction of the pharmacist. You'll play by the rules of the sport, but you won't obey God's word. You don't really love God. At least you don't love him first. Ah, oh, pastor, you're doing so good today. I knew you wasn't going to get many amens right there, but that's all right. Remember, you don't have to have amens. See, you're fond of him, but you're not passionate about him. You're friendly towards him, but you're not obsessed with him. I want to tell you, God doesn't want to be part of your life. 
He wants to be your life. When you really love him, when he is your life, he's the air you breathe, he's the water you drink, he's the bread you eat, he's the blood that courses through your veins, he's the light in your eyes, he's the thoughts you think, he's the sound in your ears, he's the hand you hold when you walk, he's the arm that supports you when you're weary, he's the shoulder you cry on when you're grieving, he's the first call you make when the world caves in on you, he's the first praise when joy embraces you. When you really love him, there is nothing and no one that comes before him. And when you love others as yourself, then it removes all selfishness. When you love others as yourself, you are most comfortable with the basin and the towel. When you love others as yourself, your first concern isn't what will make me happy. It's what will help someone else. And this approach to life is so radically different from the world around you that when you live this way, it will cause everyone around you to sit up and take notice. Everybody still with me? Y'all okay? Not only is the great commandment unchanging, but so is the great commission. The great commission is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice in that Jesus never says, go and make converts. The great commission doesn't say, go into all the world and sign people up to be members of your church. It doesn't say go and convince them to live by a certain lifestyle according to a set of rules that you hand them. It says go and make disciples, followers, learners, disciplined ones, followers of Jesus. The problem is there are too many who spend all their time studying what to do and very little time actually doing it. The goal isn't to talk about it. The goal is to accomplish the task. Go, make disciples. And, and can I just tell you, he didn't just say this to the pastors. Do we have anybody that is a follower of Jesus? Okay, this is what Jesus said to his followers. Go make other followers. To his disciples, go make disciples. Don't make followers of a theology. We've, we've gotten it all confused. We try to get everybody to think like we think and come to the church we come to and behave like we behave. That's not what he said. Don't make followers of a theology. Don't make followers of a doctrine. Make followers of a man, Jesus. See, when I talk about Jesus, I'm not talking about just a good man. I'm not talking about a learned teacher. I'm not talking about a miracle worker. I'm, I'm not talking about a martyr with a cause. When I talk about Jesus, this is who we are to get people to follow. When I talk about Jesus, I'm talking about the only begotten Son of God. I'm talking about the eternal Word of God. 
I'm talking about the incarnate word, the one who was God with us in human form. I'm talking about humanity's only hope of salvation, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, suffered and died on the cross to pay the price for the sin of the world, buried in a borrowed tomb, rose on the morning of the first day of the week, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father as the divine intercessor. I'm talking about the one who is coming again in power and glory and every eye shall behold him and every knee shall bow down and worship to him and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. When I talk about him, I'm talking about the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, King of kings, Lord of lords, author and finisher of our faith, bright morning star, lily of the valley, fairest of 10,000. This is the changeless Jesus. See, understand this. Styles of worship can change. But having Jesus at the center and focus of worship must never change. Programs and ministries of the church can change. But proclaiming Jesus as the only hope of salvation must never change. Procedures and methods will change. But looking to Jesus as the foundation and the capstone and the tie that binds and the love that constrains and the energy that pulses and the life that flows in the church. This must never change. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can cleanse. Only Jesus can pardon. Only Jesus can make you a child of God. Only Jesus can give you eternal life. Only Jesus can bring you up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. Only Jesus can set your feet upon a rock and make your footsteps firm. Only Jesus can give you a new song of praise to sing. Only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. The proclamation of Jesus to a lost and dying world must always be the primary message of the church. Connected to a changeless Jesus means that the mission and the message he has given to the church never changes. It encompasses the great commandment. It encompasses the great commission. And then finally, I want you to see that it encompasses the great community. You know, when you read the New Testament accounts of the early believers, one of the realities you discover about this thing called the church is that it's not about me, it's about us. And there's a paradox in the kingdom of God. The paradox of the kingdom of God is that the way up is down. The way to get is to give. If you want to live, you must die. If you want to be great, you must humble yourself and serve. What cannot be done alone can be done together. See, by yourself, you would be easily defeated, but linked together, there is strength and courage and ability and faith, and we don't add to it, but it's get, it gets multiplied when we get together. See, in the community of believers, you find yourself looking out for one another. You find yourself praying for one another. You know, um, last week, I had somebody call me at the office. They were concerned they said, Pastor, I haven't seen this person in church in quite some time. And I'm just calling to find out if you know anything about them and calling to see, have you checked up on them? Have you contacted them to let them know that they're missed and they're loved? And thankfully, I was able to say, yes, I've made numerous contacts. And they kind of blew me off. So, 
you know, I have to let them do what they're going to do. But yes, we contact it. And we sent several people after them. But that's what you do when you're part of the community of believers. You look out for one another. You pray for one another. You care for one another. You're devoted to one another. You encourage one another. You build up one another. You share with one another. You prefer one another. You serve one another. You weep with those who weep and you rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, we're pretty good in the church at weeping with those that weep. But let somebody get blessed and we sometimes have that old... uh, green-eyed monster of jealousy rise up and we have trouble rejoicing with those that rejoice. You just as well to say amen. You know it's the truth. See, in the community of believers, when you see a brother or a sister straying, you go to them and you lovingly seek to bring them back. At the same time, in the community of believers, you willingly receive and heed the counsel of brothers and sisters who love you and have the courage to call you to accountability. This was the kind of community that caused the early church to spread throughout the known world. This was the kind of community that kept the flame of hope alive through the dark days of intense persecution. This is the kind of community that will not just touch this city, but will have an impact on our world. This is the kind of community that will be a safe place for you to grow and develop and mature in your faith in a manner that blesses you, builds the kingdom of God, and brings glory to the cause of Christ. You know, we live in a changing world, and every day that passes seems to bring even more changes that threatens to overwhelm us. In the midst of it all, there is one who never changes. Jesus, the same yesterday and today and forever. Being held by this changeless Jesus constrains us to embrace the unchanging mission, the great commandment, the great commission, and the great community. Now, let me show you one more thing, and we're going to get out of here. As the writer brings this letter of Hebrews to a conclusion, he gives this benediction in verses 20 and 21. Listen to this. He says, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Now, watch this word, equip Pay attention to that word. Equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, that word equip, some versions translate this word as make you complete or make you perfect. Now, it's it's, it's trying to translate one Greek word. It's the word katartidzo. That's an unfamiliar word to us. It's even a little awkward to try and pronounce. Katartidso. But, but, but it was familiar to the people who received this letter. When they'd, they'd be reading along and they got to that word, katartidso. The doctors knew this word because to them, katartidso meant to set a broken bone. The fishermen knew it because to them, it meant to mend a broken net. The sailors knew this word because to them it meant to outfit a ship for a voyage. The soldiers knew this word because to them it meant to equip an army for battle. Katartidso, I want to suggest to you this is the work of the unchanging Jesus. When you're broken, he'll put you back together. When you're torn, he'll mend you. When you're engaged in his mission, He'll supply your needs. 
When you're facing an enemy, he'll protect and strengthen you. That's the work of the unchanging Jesus. Yesterday, today, and forever. And as I've been preaching this message, I'm convinced I've been preaching to some people who need to surrender your life to Jesus. No one will ever love you like Jesus. And no one will ever help you like Jesus. His invitation is that if you'll come to him just, just like you are, he will not cast you aside. He will welcome you with open arms. If you will trust him as your only hope of salvation, if you will surrender the control of your life to him, he will forgive your sin, he will cleanse your life, he will make you part of his forever family. I'm also persuaded to believe today that I've been preaching to some people who need to hit the reset button on your spiritual walk. You've gotten distracted, you've drifted, lost your focus. Other things have crowded in and taken that first place that was once reserved for Jesus. The Lord has me preaching this message today to call you back. You've been drifting too long. It's time to come back. It's time to come back. Bow with me, please.